Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. It's Friday evening. The media are all excited. They're telling us what Lieutenant Colonel Vindman had to say, the vast majority of which is hearsay. They're telling us what the former ambassador to Ukraine had to say, she an Obama holdover who knew nothing and has some answering of her own to do, may have lied under oath, may have. And yet none of it really is relevant. It is to the Democrats because that's all they have. Because the transcript, of course, speaks for itself, and there's nothing wrong with the transcript. They used to say you can indict a ham sandwich in front of a grand jury. You couldn't indict a ham sandwich with that transcript. I'll tell you that right now. And I spent a little bit of time talking about this last night, right here, as well as on uh, Hannity last night. And I want to thank all of you who watched that. And we'll get into this at another point. But first, there's a big push on this book, Anonymous. There's a big push at the New York Times, which originally ran it as an op-ed, you may recall, aspects of it. And there's a big push in the Washington Compost. I believe it's what, number one on Amazon now, Mr. Producer? This is a book whose author is unknown. But Javelin, which is the, the agency that represents so-called anonymous, the publisher, which has found that this is the best way to hawk the hell out of this book, and of course, the New York Times and the Washington Post. If a book had been written called Anonymous that had attacked Barack Milhouse, Benito Obama, or Hillary Rotten Clinton, or any of them, do you believe for a minute that they would even get published, let alone get all this publicity. And this is what I mean about pseudo-events spawning pseudo-events. This is a book. The author is unknown to the American people. And now it's getting news coverage. So now it's a news issue. And of course, we are supposed to embrace it. I'll give you an example. In the Washington Compost... Later last night, Phil Rucker, a newsman, wrote about Anonymous, a book, because it attacks the president. One day we'll know who Anonymous is, probably after the president leaves office and so forth, and that person will then become a commentator on CNN or Meet the Press or one of those programs. Senior Trump administration officials, he writes, considered resigning in mass last year, <clears throat> excuse me, in a midnight 
self-massacre to sound a public alarm about President Trump's conduct, but rejected the idea because they believed it would further destabilize an already teetering government, according to a new book by an unnamed author. That's the first sentence. Now, you and I, the public, even those of us who have no intention of reading or buying this book, we have no way to digest this. We can't take the measure of the author, Anonymous, or the people that he supposedly or she supposedly worked with or got information from. We, we don't know anything. This could be a fiction as far as we know. And a warning by Anonymous, obtained by the Washington Post ahead of its release, so it was leaked to the Washington Post. What, me, what that means is it was handed to the Washington Post by the publicist for the publisher. They make it like, oh, it was obtained by the Washington Post. Oh, wow. Ahead of its release, a writer described only as a senior official in the Trump administration, unquote, paints a chilling portrait of the president as cruel, inept, and a danger to the nation he was elected to lead. The author, who first captured attention in 2018, he didn't capture attention. He was pushed hard by the media, particularly the New York Slimes. As the unidentified author of a New York Times opinion column describes a Trump careening from one self-inflicted crisis to the next. Quote, like a 12-year-old in an air traffic control tower pushing the buttons of government indiscriminately, indifferent to the planes skidding across the runway and the flights frantically diverting away from the airport, unquote. The book is an unsparing character study of Trump, from his morality to his intellectual depth, which the author writes is based on his or her observations and experiences. The author claims many other current and former administration officials share his or her views. Shouldn't the proper writing of this now be, Mr. Producer, not his or her views, but its views? Because we're all eunuchs now, aren't we? The 259-page book, which was published by 12, an imprint of Grand Central Publishing, Hatchet Book Group, and goes on sale November 19th does not recreate many specific episodes in vivid detail, which the author writes was intentional to protect his or her identity. At a moment when a stream of political appointees and career public servants have testified before Congress about Trump's conduct as part of the House impeachment inquiry, the book's author defends his or her decision to remain anonymous. Quote, I've decided to publish this anonymously because this debate is not about me, the author writes. It is about us. Wow, what a sanctimonious, narcissist, egomaniacal buffoon. He speaks, or she, or it, speaks for us. It's about how we want the presidency to reflect our country. And that is where the discussion should center. Some will call this cowardice. My feelings are not hurt by the accusation. Well, how can they be? We won't even know who the hell you are, you moron. Nor am I unprepared to attach my name to criticism of President Trump. I may do so in due course. Of course! After this individual is done doing as much damage as possible, because this individual, it, knows that the media will chew this up, particularly when the book comes out. So this is the pre-publication hype. The White House press secretary, see, see, now it's a news matter. Oh, the White House press secretary has to answer to anonymous. Who has to answer to nobody? 
Stephanie Grisham derided the book as a work of fiction, and its anonymous author is a coward. The coward who wrote the book didn't put their name on it because it is nothing but lies, she wrote in an email. Real authors reach out to their subjects to get things fact-checked, but this person is hiding and making the basic part of being a real writer impossible. Reporters who choose to write about this farce should have the journalistic integrity to cover the book as what it is, a work of fiction. Now, earlier this week, the Justice Department warned Hatchett and author's agent, Matt Latimer and Keith Urban of Javelin, that the anonymous official may be violating a non-disclosure agreement. Javelin responded by accusing the administration of seeking to unmask the author. Wow, can you imagine that? As I recall, it was the Obama administration that was unmasking everybody. Let me tell the boys over there at Javelin, the White House and the administration has every right to try and unmask the author. Because that author is trying to destroy a president and a presidency. And that author may be violating federal law. They have every right to try and figure out who it is. And then the article goes on about the op-ed piece that was written. It goes on about how Pence was kind of leaning in favor of the 25th Amendment. Pence says it's BS. So now it's a news item. Anonymous. Isn't that amazing? I wonder how that happened. Because there is no more integrity in journalism. That's how it happened. Then over at the New York Slimes, which started the whole thing, under book review, they call it. How many book reviews did they have they done in my book reviews, Mr. Producer? I don't think any. Yeah, if they would, you're right, they, they would spike it. But Unfreedom of the Press, wouldn't you think a book called Unfreedom of the Press would be worthy of the press? The New York Slimes, the Washington Compost, at least writing a review? And not even write it anonymously. It goes on. Here's Jennifer Salai, if that is her name. Another fascinating writer for the New York Slimes, the Holocaust-denying New York Slimes, but journalists are very proud of their association with this. Trust me, it's a tired cliche, she writes, a throwaway line. But when you first encounter it in A Warning, the new book by Anonymous, who is identified here only as a senior Trump administration official, it lands with a startling thud. And revealing details have been explicitly and deliberately withheld to protect this person's identity. Who is this, me, that we are supposed to trust? It's a question that the anonymous author, who wrote an op-ed for the New York Times last year about resisting the president's more misguided impulses, might have anticipated given how much of the book is devoted to the necessity of character and to quoting dead presidents by name, not to mention this individual's own conspicuous failures of judgment thus far. You don't even have to take it from me. You can take it from Anonymous. Now, attempts by the adults in the room to impose some discipline on frenzied or non-existent decision-making process in the White House were just a wet band-aid that wouldn't hold together a gapping wound, Anonymous writes. The members of the steady state, the term deep state, clearly stings. Now, this is from the book. Have done everything they can to no avail. Anonymous is passing the baton to voters and their elected representatives. Only how the baton is flaming stick of dynamite. And it goes on. So a book written by Anonymous 
who's said to be a senior official in or formerly in the Trump administration orbit, being pushed heavily by the media, quoted heavily by the media, by news elements in the media, as fact, pushed by their agency, Javelin, and their publisher, Hatchet, will sell a zillion books. And you will have no idea who the author is until the author decides to reveal him or herself, and unless somebody associated with this scheme reveals him or herself. And the fact that this book is being published in the middle of the phony impeachment scandal that's been unleashed by the Democrats in the House of Representatives is not coincidence. Nothing's coincidence in Washington, D.C. I'll be right back. Liberty and learning. In a healthy democracy, these two things are mutually supportive. In America today, however, that bond is broken. To help repair the breach, Hillsdale College has launched the Van Andel Graduate School of Government in the nation's capital. And unlike other graduate programs, Hillsdale teaches politics as a human activity oriented toward justice. A series of choices, guided in the best case by right principles, but made in ever-changing circumstances that require prudence to achieve the best attainable results. Hillsdale's curriculum combines the careful reading of primary sources and serious historical inquiry. Students learn how to apply the principles of free government and advance the cause of constitutionalism in the context of ever-changing circumstances. Hillsdale's new Van Andel School of Government is a program unlike any other in Washington, D.C., Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Learn more at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Remember that Washington Post piece I just read to you that said, Washington Post acquired a copy. Well, how did the New York Times get it? By the way, NBC News wrote a piece on it. Mediaite. Dan Abrams, ABC analyst, legal analyst, his site. They got a copy too? Isn't that amazing? That's being pushed out to all the left-wing kook media, all the Trump-hating media, and turned into a news story. Isn't that amazing? Maybe I should write a book called Anonymous, Mr. Producer. I'll write it about Obama and Hillary. You never know. Folks, whatever happened to the Senate Intelligence Committee report on Russia? Whatever happened to the Senate Intelligence Committee report on Russia? Was it lost in the mail? Did the dog eat their homework? We're three years into this. Where is the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, the putative Republican, Richard Burr? Don't we have a Republican majority on this committee? I'll tell you what's happened to it, thanks to our friends, Paul Sperry. Paul Sperry tweets out that Democrat Senator Mark Warner, who is the most bizarre buffoon you can imagine, vice chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Democrat Virginia, imagine that, is holding up release of the findings of the panel's investigation. It had been due for release in September, actually before that. And Sperry is told it fully exonerates the president. 
and his advisors. And they won't release the report. See, this is how fascistic regimes work. They have outlets like Mediaite, NBC News, New York Times, Washington Post that do their bidding. Fascistic regimes work, where they try to remove a duly elected president under a pretext that he's violated the Constitution when in fact it is they who are shredding it daily. This is how fascistic regimes work. When you do not apply basic traditional standards to an impeachment process that you've applied in recent history to Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton. I love these columnists who write, the Sixth Amendment doesn't apply here. The Fourth Amendment doesn't apply here. The Bill of Rights, we know that. That's not the point. These are guide stars. These are markers that have been used in the past. These amendments to the Constitution weren't written out of whole cloth. And particularly when it comes to the protection of individual liberty. That's what the Bill of Rights is all about, beginning to end. And early on, they weren't even called the Bill of Rights. And these are basic precepts of what is supposed to be Western civilization that were embraced by our founders. And then they went back on the Constitution and out of them because of objections from the states during the ratification of the Constitution process. So we know all about them. We know they don't specifically apply to impeachment, but that's not the point. The point is they manifest a justice process. And it doesn't just have to be in criminal law or civil law, but an impeachment process. And I, 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 just, I just am so frustrated with these lawyers who know really nothing about the history of impeachment and, and are so lazy intellectually they don't really investigate it, who just keep saying it's a political process, the House can do whatever it wants. Well, the House can do whatever it wants, but it is not just a political process. Read the damn Constitution. Does impeachment clause, does it say the House can do whatever it wants, it's just a political process? Is that what it says? Well, then why bother with the language in there? Treason, bribery, high crimes and misdemeanors. What does that mean? Well, the House can do whatever it wants. Well, it's the job of the Senate to make sure that the House doesn't succeed in doing whatever it wants. Does it sound like the Senate is going to deal with this in a proper way? No, it doesn't. I'll be right back. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty. With more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S, dot hillsdale, dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. Mark Levin doesn't just read the news, he makes the news. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. Now, I was on Hannity last night, as you know. President of the United States had a 30-, 40-minute uh, sort of presser on his way to the helicopter where he spoke to the media mob. And I think it's fantastic the way he does that. And um, hearing part is what he said. Now, you didn't hear this on any of the news programs because they love me so. Oh, they love me so. Cut three, go. All that matters is one thing, the transcript. And the transcript is perfect. Mark Levin last night on television, who's a great constitutional lawyer, he broke it down. He said, what Trump said, and he was respectful, he said, President Trump, what President Trump said was perfect on the transcript. What he said on that telephone call with the president of Ukraine was perfect. He said, no other, nothing else matters. And what he said was perfect. And he analyzed it, every line, every paragraph. It was not complex. It was perfect. Nothing else matters. It was not complex. There's nothing wrong with it. Nothing. Zero. That's why they're going to these bureaucrats and others to get their opinions about what they thought about the president's comments or their opinions about what they thought about the president's policies. This is so diabolical what's being done to this man. That's why, even if you're a quasi-never-Trumper, never-Trumper, you're appalling to me. Because you know what these people are doing is outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. The people on the left, so many of them, the Adam Schiff's and so are, clearly do have a fascistic mindset. It's that simple. The Republicans are going to give a list of witnesses to Adam Schiff. Either tomorrow or Sunday, because they have 72 hours to do so. And the hearings begin next week. And Adam Schiff has not only said he needs a detailed explanation as to why each witness is relevant, he's given them three areas that the witnesses must be able to focus on. Ladies and gentlemen, we elected representatives to Congress too. You did. This isn't the way this is supposed to be handled. And the media know it, but they don't care. Later on, the president added this. Cut, four, go. I have no problem releasing it. I'm very transparent. Nobody is more transparent than I am. And if I wasn't, and if I didn't release it, it would have been a problem. Because the fake whistleblower said something about the call, many things that were wrong. When the whistleblower came forward, he talked about this horrible call. It turned out to be a perfect call, as I say. Mark Levin said this was a perfect call. So they lied. They lied. The whole thing is a scam. This is a scam by the Democrats to try and win an election. Now they want, now they want my first call. I have no problem giving it to them, other than I don't like giving calls 
to the media when I'm dealing with foreign nations. But I will give it if they want it. And the media and the Democrats and the Romney Republicans could care less about the damage this does. Could care less. And so tonight, ladies and gentlemen, and tomorrow and Sunday, these various Sunday news programs, all they're going to do is quote the summaries that have been provided by Adam Schiff and the Democrats. Some of them will be a little bit more uh, enterprising and dig into the transcripts themselves. And they're really taken by Lieutenant Colonel Vindman now. Which is exactly why the other day the New York Times tried to destroy retired Lieutenant Colonel Hickman who worked with Vindman and Hickman who said that Vindman was trashing American and American soldiers to Ukrainian and Russian soldiers. That it was so bad that he pulled him aside and let him have it. And others heard him do exactly the same thing. So they want to destroy Hickman while they cover up the whistleblower, while they protect Vindman, while they promote the Obama holdovers who worked at the State Department, while they trash the president, trash Giuliani, Now, we've talked about this before. You keep hearing about these irregular channels, these back channels that the president had Giuliani and perhaps others use. Like there's something untoward about this. First principle is this. The president sets foreign policy. And he can do it through the State Department or he can do it through other individuals. And it's been done that way throughout history. We talked about Henry Hopkins. Go ahead and Google it. We've talked about others. Logan. Talked about him. He talked about Richardson, Jesse Jackson, and so forth and so on. That's a non-issue. Irregular channels, back channels, a rogue foreign policy. The President of the United States sets foreign policy. So any foreign policy that, that doesn't comply with the Obama foreign policy, according to bureaucrats at the State Department... And by the way, everybody in Washington knows that the worst bureaucrats are at the State Department. And by that, what's meant is they're the smartest at sabotage. They're the smartest at sabotage. They hated Reagan, too, by the way. Why do you think Richard Nixon used Henry Kissinger, not just as his Secretary of State, but his National Security Advisor? He had to get around the bureaucracy, too. They all really do have to. Because the, the, the bureaucracy is what it is. It's dug in. But a president's free to do that. President's free to have quote-unquote irregular channels when it comes to agricultural or energy or education or any of the other departments too. Because the president is elected. The others are not. So there are no irregular channels where the president's involved. The president in that phone call, and that's what matters, the phone call, the president did not tie military aid to Ukraine assisting us in the 2016 election that's being undertaken by the Attorney General and the U.S. Attorney from Connecticut and done with the public knowledge. That's not a secret. The President did not tie military aid or any aid to Ukraine to looking into the Bidens. And nobody can say he did. Unless they 
begin to dissemble. Like, you know, the transcript wasn't exactly the way it should be. There were a few words left out, a few sentences left out. The transcript wasn't written by the president, wasn't written by his campaign manager. The president doesn't even know who writes these transcripts. They're written by careerists, for the most part, and others who listen in on the phone calls, monitor it, take notes, and then come up with a with a committee-like conclusion on what was said as they compare notes and share the information one with the other. So if one guy, a lieutenant colonel, Vinman says, well, they left out a sentence, I believe, or a sentence, that's his problem. Now, we know he's hostile to Trump. Just like these so-called whistleblowers. We know who the whistleblower is. I've told you who the whistleblower is, and thank you, Paul Sperry and others, for laying the foundation. I've told you who it is. I've told you all about them. I told you about the lawyer before all this stuff came out about the tweets the lawyer was putting out there. And I was attacked by PolitiFact. Oh, PolitiFact. What Levin said was mostly false. Everything Levin said was accurate. They still, by the way, have no retraction, no correction, no apology, nothing. That's PolitiFact. Meanwhile, did you read in the New York Times, Mr. Producer? Have they dug into the background of the whistleblower and they revealed all this information to the American people so the American people know who's, knows who's behind all this? With the whistleblower and his friends from the NSC and Obama who were hired by Schiff and the conversations between them and Schiff. Did you read that today? It was it in the New York Times? Right, it's not in the New York Times. Or the Washington Post. Or any of our great media outlets in America. Oh my goodness, where's Jim Acosta? Where's Jim Acosta? We don't even hear from Jim Acosta anymore. No. How about Jake Tapper? Now, there's a news guy. You know, he worked at ABC News and Handgun Control Inc. and Marjorie Mesvinsky. And all. Come on, Jake, where are you? I know, if you want to keep your damn job, you got to do what Jeff Motherzucker tells you to do. Now, let's move over to MSLSD, shall we? You know those little paper bags they have in the airplanes and the, the sort of the area in the front? You know, the little pockets they have on the back of the chair in front of you and you pull out in case you get sick, Mr. Producer? I have those throw-up bags when I watch MSNBC, just so you know. Any breaking reporting over there? Oh, Andrea Mitchell! My God. What a reporter. Journalist. We've never seen anything like her. What has she found out? Nothing. Has she looked? No. No. Of course not. And as I also explained last night, and I explained on Fox last night, and I've actually explained six weeks ago, but Andy McCarthy had a great piece in National Review as well. This whistleblower law doesn't apply to the President of the United States. This whistleblower law doesn't apply to the so-called whistleblower under these circumstances because he's not working and reporting to or under the umbrella of the Director of National Intelligence. He's under the umbrella of the National Security Council, which reports to the President. He's not covered. And yet they continue to pretend that he is. And now Adam Schiff has decided, with his fascistic mindset, we don't need this guy anymore. We don't need him. We don't need him. You know, we got everything we need. We don't need this guy. But the former ambassador to Yugoslavia, excuse me, the former ambassador to Ukraine, 
Yovanovitch or whatever the hell her name was. Now, she is crucial because she didn't like the way she was treated, you know. And Bill Taylor, he left because he didn't like the way she was treated. We need Bill Taylor. Oh, Bill, we got to have Bill. Bill has 412 years of unbelievable service at the State Department. Foggy Bottom, they like to call it. Foggy Bottom? Yes. Is that still legal to say? Apparently so. All the Foggy Bottomers over there. Or as I said last night, the Coosters. C-O-U-P-S-T-E-R-S. Mark, is that a word? It's a word, but we'll apply it to this. Then, of course, anybody who has an opinion that can indict the president, I don't mean legally, but that can indict him, an opinion or sat in a meaning and disagrees with everybody else, my God, that's a blockbuster. That's breaking news. Oh, my God. That's BS. It's BS. I'll be right back. Lovin. You hear me talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum, about its exceptionally bright and patriotic students. 175 years ago, Hillsdale College was founded with a mission defined by four enduring purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've also talked about the great Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College. It's one of the finest Americans I've ever known. And he explains that these four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, remain inseparable in the activity of education at Hillsdale College. He says, learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it is fragile and constantly under threat, so its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he is the first authority. Folks, if you've ever wondered why I love Hillsdale College, now you know. Visit hillsdale.edu, that's hillsdale.edu, for more information. Hillsdale College. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Remember, that's hillsdale.edu, hillsdale.edu. Elaine, Mission, Texas, the great WBAP. Quickly, please, go. Me? You. Go. Oh. Except I'm calling from Allen, Texas. All right, I'm sorry. I only I only read what they say, but please go right ahead. All right. So this book, Anonymous, I mean, certainly sounds like Dossier Point Part Two. It really does, doesn't it? Yes, it does. So you think the Russians are behind it? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> All right, Elaine, thank you for your call. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, 
deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin, our number, 877-381-3811. Yovanovitch. Have you ever heard of Yovanovitch? It rhymes with Yovana Snitch, I would say. Yovana Lich. Yovana Skitch. Anyway, Yovanovitch, did you know she communicated with a Democratic staffer? Oh, yeah. Despite saying in her testimony, she didn't, apparently. But don't worry, she has 33 years' experience at the State Department, so she's noble and she's to be celebrated. It's the president that needs to be removed. A stellar reputation. Fox News exclusive. Really, Tucker Carlson deserves a salute here. Former U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, a key witness. Witness to what? She's not a witness to anything. But anyway, a key witness in House Democrats' impeachment inquiry communicated via her personal email account with a Democratic congressional staffer concerning, quote, a quite delicate, unquote, and time-sensitive, unquote, matter just two days after the whistleblower complaint that kick-started the inquiry that was filed. And a month before the complaint became public, a month before the complaint was known to you. Emails obtained Thursday by Fox News' Tucker Carlson Tonight Show indicate... The emails appear to contradict Yovanovitch's deposition on Capitol Hill last month, which he told U.S. Representative Lee Zeldin, who is terrific, Republican New York, about an email she received August 14 from the staffer, Laura Carey, but indicated under oath that she never responded to it. The communication came, quote, from the Foreign Affairs Committee, unquote, and they wanted me to come in and talk about, I guess, the circumstances of my departure in May as Ambassador to Ukraine, Yovanovitch testified. Describing Carrie's initial email, I alerted the State Department because I'm still an employee, and so matters are generally handled through the State Department. Wow! Let me get this straight. Matters are generally handled... In the State Department, uh, Mr. Producer, but she followed an irregular channel. She went through a back channel. An irregular channel, may I say. Around the State Department. Back channel. Irregular. Irregular. Back channel. She is more in common with Rudy Giuliani than she realizes. Yovanovitch continued, so she emailed me, I alerted the State Department, and, you know, asked them to handle the correspondence. And she emailed me again and said, you know, who should I be in touch with? Fox News is told it's a breach of normal procedure for congressional staff to reach out to a current State Department employee at their personal email address for official business. Wow, what? Now, wait a minute. Wow. So what am Adam Schiff's mobsters, I mean staffers, Went around 
Normal channels, they followed irregular channels, Mr. Producer. Irregular channels. To get around normal channels, as I understand it. To get a hold of Yovanovitch. So they both went around the State Department and used irregular channels. How do you like that? Asked directly whether she responded, she testified only that someone in Legislative Affairs Office at the State Department had responded to Carrie to the best of her knowledge. She lied. Because she knew she had responded. She did not indicate that she had responded to Carrie's first email in any way and testified explicitly that she did not reply to Carrie's follow-up email concerning whom she should contact at the State Department. But emails obtained by Fox News' Tucker Carlson tonight show that, in fact, Yovanovitch had responded to Carrie's initial August 14 email, writing that she, quote, would love to reconnect and look forward to chatting with you. Oh, my goodness. And she hasn't even updated her testimony. On August 14, this staffer, Carrie, now you understand, the complaint from the phony whistleblower, the Look, I said last night in the years, he's a political hack, this guy. That's why they're covering up for this guy. He's a political hack. He files his complaint on August 12th to Burr and to Schiff. Two days later, Schiff's staffer reaches out to Yovanovitch with pleasantries about the last time the two had crossed paths. When I was detailed to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, before noting that Carrie had resigned from the State Department to join the House Foreign Affairs Committee staff performing oversight work. See how sleazy this town is, Washington? I'm writing to see if you would have time to meet up for a chat. In particular, I'm hoping to discuss some Ukraine-related oversight questions we are exploring. See, this was a setup from day one. Schiff and his committee. Working with the phony whistleblower, working with the phony whistleblower's lawyers. This was all hatched in Schiff's committee. That's why they're making it virtually impossible for the Republicans to pursue this and get to the bottom of it. Because the mad hatter himself, Schiff, the guy who hatched it, is the guy who gets to decide who the witnesses will be and the focus of the questions to the witnesses. Good little Stalinist, the little bastard. I mean, uh, Congressman. Now, this shift staffer, Carrie, continued to Yovanovitch, who, by the way, has 33 years of stellar experience at the State Department. Could you let me know if you have any time this week or next to connect? Happy to come to a place of your choosing, or if easier, to speak by phone at either of the numbers below. I'm also around this weekend if meeting up over coffee works. Now, listen to this. So the Hill staffer went around the State Department repeatedly, used an irregular channel. And the ambassador, the Obama holdover, Yovanovitch, the former ambassador, went around the State Department, used an irregular channel to communicate on her private email, their private emails back and forth. And look, we're prepared to meet with you on a Saturday. Oh, this must be very, very important. Oh, yes, you see, ladies and gentlemen. The goal is to take down the President of the United States. We'll meet on Saturday, Sunday, whenever. We'll meet on Arbor's Day, whatever works. 
On August 15th, the next day, Yovanovitch responded, thanks for reaching out and congratulations on your new job. I'd love to reconnect and look forward to chatting with you. I've let Bureau of European and Eurasia Affairs know that you're interested in talking, and they will be in touch with you shortly. On August 19th, Carrie wrote, great, thanks for the response, and I look forward to hearing from them. As mentioned, it would be ideal to connect this week. Assuming this week is doable for your schedule. Now, why? Because they wanted to begin the impeachment process. Now, Congressman Zeldin, who is a combat veteran, he told Fox News yesterday it was greatly concerning that Yovanovitch may have testified incorrectly, that she did not personally respond to Carrie's email. Incorrectly? That's a nice way to put it. Very, very gentlemanly. Quote, I would highly suspect that this Democratic staffer's work was connected in some way to the whistleblower's effort, which has evolved into this impeachment charade, Zeldin said, and he's right, no question. He said, we do know that the whistleblower was in contact with House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff's team before the whistleblower had even hired an attorney or filed a whistleblower complaint, even though Schiff had lied to the public originally claiming that there was no contact. What a bunch of rats. Just a den of thieves. Additionally, says Zeldin, while the contents of the email from this staffer to the ambassador clearly state what the conversation would be regarding Yovanovitch, when I asked her specifically what the staffer was looking to speak about, did not provide these details. No. But she's a fantastic veteran, civil servant of the State Department. Obama chose to serve in Ukraine and she was forced out. It was terrible what they did to her. Now, Zeldin added, I specifically asked her whether the Democrat staffer was responded to by Yovanovitch or the State Department. It's greatly concerning that Ambassador Yovanovitch didn't answer my question as honestly as she should have, especially while under oath. Ooh. Doesn't that mean perjury, Mr. Producer? A Democratic House Foreign Affairs Committee spokesperson, however, characterized the outreach as innocuous. Of course, it's innocuous. Everything the president does is impeachable. Everything they do, it's innocuous. Well, you lied to the American people. Well, I lied. But what's a lie, after all? A lie is in the eyes of the beholder. It's in the ears of the listener. This staff outreach was part of months-long efforts that culminated in the September 9 launch of an investigation into these events, writes the propagandist for the committee. Congress has a constitutional duty to conduct a... Shut up, you little twerp. Don't lecture us about the Constitution. When you're sleezing around, you and your colleagues and that creep boss of yours, Adam Schiff, don't lecture us about rules and process in the Constitution. He got caught red-handed, and I mean red. I'll be right back. Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Well, it gets even more interesting. How did the alleged Ukraine call whistleblower end up in the Mueller report? What you say? Oh, yeah. His name is in the, Ukraine, in the Mueller report, as reported by Tyler O'Neill, among others, at Pajama Media, PJ Media. Eric Shamarella, the CI analyst identified as the likely... Uh, whistleblower behind the Democrats' partisan impeachment inquiry, was cited in special counsel Robert Mueller's report on non-existent collusion between Donald Trump and Russia. In fact, the Mueller report cites Chamarala his May 2017 email summaries of a meeting between Trump and Russia officials. Summaries that happened to be leaked to a New York Times reporter. And citing... Chamarella's emails, the report quotes the Times story. In other words, Mueller puts the emails together with the leak to the New York Times, and it goes on. Isn't that interesting, Mr. Producer? That would be a wonderful question for the partisan leftist Democrat, Obama holdover. Oh, excuse me, the whistleblower, who's not even covered by the whistleblower statute. None of this is covered by the whistleblower statute, as you can imagine, just based on common sense. But as a matter of law, it's not. That doesn't stop Richard Burr. It doesn't stop Charles Grassley. It doesn't stop some of the other morons in the Senate to keep saying it does. They don't even read the laws that they pass, that they talk about. They don't even know what the hell they're talking about. But that's okay, isn't it? See, the question is whether or not this guy was leaking these other calls related to Russia, Australia, Mexico, and so forth. I'm not saying he did. I am talking about what's in the Mueller report, and we all know the Mueller report is the Bible. Oh, did you know there were six books in the Torah, Mr. Producer? Not just five. There were six. The Mueller report was the sixth. And uh, the Mueller report mentions Eric, what's his face, Chamarella, the CIA analyst, the, the courageous, noble individual who came forward anonymously. Oh, that word anonymous is all over the place. If you're going to take down a president, you've got to be anonymous. And uh, he's in the Mueller report. And he sat on these phone calls, you see. And he wrote some emails. And the Mueller report kind of links them up to a New York Times story. There's lots of really cool questions that can be asked, Mr. Whistleblower. But Adam Schiff won't allow them, you see. See, folks, if we had a working press rather than a propaganda machine, none of this would be going on. None of it. These politicians would be too scared to do what they're doing. But you've seen CNN, you don't watch it on a regular basis, but you've seen CNN and MSNBC, you've seen NBC, ABC, CBS. 
You've seen the four Yentas on The View. You've seen this idiot, Chuck Todd. You've seen uh, the uh, mouthpiece, George Stephanopoulos. I don't even know what's on Deface the Nation anymore. Who gives a damn? You've seen all these people. And you say, we're real journalists here, not like, you know, the primetime lineup at Fox there, where they just give their, uh, you know, their opinions over there. Over here, we're news operations, newsrooms. Okay, well, what's the name of the whistleblower? Well, we, we've decided in order to protect the whistle, He's not protected. There's no anonymity. I defy any reporter to show me how I'm wrong. You can even bring in one of these slip-and-fall whistleblower lawyers. Everybody knows I'm right who knows anything about this. And yet our journalists, ladies and gentlemen, they'll happily print the Pentagon Papers or, sure, all kinds of stuff. But when it comes to the whistleblower, we can't publish that individual's name. Why? Well, you must be part of the Trump cabal trying to force the revelation of the identity of this individual. We can't do that. No, we're not going to allow you to force us to... We're the media here, ladies and gentlemen. Our media. They didn't give a damn that the testimony was taken in secret in the House skiff. Our media that doesn't give a damn that the President's counsel is not available for cross-examination to better get at the truth. Our media that knows right now that is a kangaroo court process that they're going to have televised next week where the Republicans have almost no rights whatsoever. I mean, if fine with that, just get Trump. Get him, get him, get him. Oh. Who knew? Now, the whistleblower, such as he is, you'll recall, um, the whistleblower also met with Adam Schiff's staff. Why? Why would he meet with Adam Schiff's staff? Why do you meet with all the staff over there in the House Intelligence Committee? Now, the Mueller report went on to quote from a New York Times article published on May 19, 2017. That article cited an American official, quote-unquote, who leaked to reporters a document summarizing the meeting between the president and the Russians. Who would that be? Gee willikers. I dare not say, I, 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 I think the gentleman needs to be under oath and testify under penalty of perjury, don't you? Yes, I do. I mean, this is in the Mueller report. It's a big deal. Has this been reported on TV, Mr. Bidu? I haven't seen it on TV, have you? No. But don't worry, folks, they read the Mueller report, word for word, just like they're reading these transcripts word for word. No, 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 no. Don't think they're spoon-fed stuff from the Democrats on the committee with their special headlines. Do yourselves a favor this Sunday. Do not watch the Sunday news shows. They're dying anyway. Do watch 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time, Life, Liberty, and Levin. We're moving up. Not out. We're moving up. Life, Liberty, and Levin, 8 p.m. Did I say 8 p.m.? Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific. You can join us there. Forget about the uh, food show. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. 
With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. If you want to talk to Mark, we have two numbers for you to call. For regular Americans, call 877-381-3811. For liberals, call 877-381-3811. Simply safe. You know, here's something interesting. There's over 2 million burglaries reported every year. That's a lot. It's every 13 seconds there's a burglary. What's crazy is that only one in five homes have home security. And I think one of the main reasons is that these alarm companies, these security companies, make it very difficult and very expensive. But that's why Simply Safe is transforming home security. By breaking down those barriers to get you the best, most reliable, and comprehensive protection available anywhere. Simply Safe predicts and protects every door, window, and room with 24 7 professional monitoring. Their police dispatch is up to 3.5 times faster because they use video verification. And Simply Safe has no contracts or hidden fees. This system is designed to blend right into your home. No wires, no drilling. It's easy to order, easy to set up, usually in under an hour. Plus, prices are always fair and honest. Around-the-clock monitoring is just $15 a month. Visit simplysafemark.com to get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafemark.com so they know that I sent you. Simplysafemark.com, simplysafemark.com. I love the way they trash Trump 24-7, brutally, viciously, network after network. And then they take polls on his popularity. Notice that, Mr. Producer? He's Hitler. He's Hitler. Hey, do you support the president or not? Now, this happened a few days ago, but I never had an opportunity to comment on it. There's this senator from Louisiana, John Kennedy is his name. I think this guy's terrific. He is terrific. He's got sort of a Mark Twain-type personality about him, which is unusual for these days. Usually everybody sounds the same in in, uh, uh, Capitol Hill and in politics. But he's very, very uh, thoughtful, very funny. And that way, he's very convincing in many respects. So let's let's hear what he had to say about Nancy Pelosi. Most of you heard this, but I didn't get the comment on it. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. And you know what our Democratic friends have done for him? (laughs) Speaker Nancy Pelosi is trying to impeach him. disrespect, but it must suck to be that dumb. Now, the President of the United States has been called mentally ill. He's been called mentally unhinged. He's been called a racist, an anti-Semite. He's been called Stalin, who murdered 50 to 60 million people. He's been called Adolf Hitler. We know what he did. Maybe they don't at the New York Times, but the rest of us know. 
He's been called Mussolini. He's been called a dictator. A neo-Nazi. A white supremacist. A white nationalist. You can't think of a horrific phrase he's not been called. And so Senator John Kennedy makes that statement about how dumb she is, Nancy Pelosi, which is actually factual. Doesn't really matter. And he takes a boatload of crap. He's under attack. Don't you think you were a little harsh there, uh, Senator? Uh, if you had to redo it, if you, if you had a redo, if you had a 2.0, do you think, do you think, Senator, that maybe you uh, Maybe you, you were a little bit overboard there, that maybe uh, you would take those words back. Do you think you would do that there, you know, uh, when you're calling the Speaker of the House? Uh, must be sucked to, uh, sucked to be that dumb. You know, we, we don't normally hear that kind of language here on the cable show here. We usually hear that Donald Trump is Hitler and Stalin and... You know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, we usually hear that uh, Donald Trump sold out his country, he committed treason, so forth. Now, why in the world would you say that about the lovely, precious Nancy Pelosi? I'm so sick of these people, you have no idea. And I want to thank Senator John Kennedy, may I say, for saying what he said, because it is true. And don't worry about the media. They're a joke, and everybody knows they're a joke. All right. The 30th anniversary of the coming down of the Berlin Wall is, is getting here. It's almost upon us. And uh, President Ronald Reagan made a fantastic speech. We're not going to play the whole speech that led up to that event. Came down in 1989. But... It was really Ronald Reagan and his policies that resulted in that. And uh, I want to remind you of this, because all we hear about is, oh, Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff. Does anybody remember Peter Rodino? Of course not. Well, nobody's going to remember Adam Schiff either. He'll be a footnote to a footnote in history. A pimple on a dinosaur's butt. And uh, anyway, Mr. Producer, I thought you folks would like to hear this again. And a, a statue of Ronald Reagan is now at the American Embassy in Berlin. Thanks to, by the way, President Trump. Thanks to President Trump. Not President Obama, not anybody. Not the, oh, our State Department there, you know, our State Department. Not the State Department. Even though the Secretary of State was there today. All right, let's play it. Go ahead, Mr. Producer. In the 1950s, Khrushchev predicted, we will bury you. But in the West today, we see a free world that has achieved a level of prosperity and well-being unprecedented in all human history. In the communist world, we see failure, technological backwardness, declining standards of health, now the Soviets themselves may, in a limited way, be coming to understand the importance of freedom. We hear much from Moscow about a new policy of reform and openness. Some political prisoners have been released. Certain foreign news broadcasts are no longer being jammed. Some economic enterprises have been permitted to operate with greater freedom from state control. 
Are these the beginnings of profound changes in the Soviet state, or are they token gestures intended to raise false hopes in the West or to strengthen the Soviet system without changing it? We welcome change and openness, for we believe that freedom and security go together, that the advance of human liberty the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, Come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I understand the fear of war and the pain of division that afflict this continent. And I pledge to you my country's efforts to help overcome these burdens. To be sure, we in the West must pre-resist Soviet expansion. So we must maintain defenses of unassailable strength. Yet we seek peace, so we must strive to reduce arms on both sides. Mm-hmm. He's a great president. You know, uh, a couple weeks ago, when my former boss and mentor, the Attorney General of the United States under Ronald Reagan, Ed Meese, was given the Medal of Freedom, which is a tremendous honor, and was a truly gracious of the President of the United States to confer that upon Attorney General Meese. He asked me to come up, among others, to make a few short comments, and I did. And one of the things I said it is, Tremendous honor to have known two of the greatest presidents. A tremendous honor. And it's true. Donald Trump is putting up with a fifth column within the United States. Like no president, or at least few presidents, have ever had to confront. He is actually at the forefront of protecting our constitutional system. He's at the forefront of protecting the office of the presidency, of protecting separation of powers. He is a very courageous man. Despite what the, the mob of pundits say today, dressed up as journalists and otherwise, they will be dismissed in history or they will be denounced in history as they cheer on every 
outrageous effort to take this man down, to criminalize, and now to use the impeachment process to try and remove him from office, or at least to hamper his ability or burden his ability to, to govern. And this is how I see him. I see Donald Trump as a freedom fighter within his own country. I see Donald Trump as the great defender of our constitutional system within his own country. Fighting off the hard left and truly, uh, I don't even know how to describe some of these Republicans. It's so repulsive to me. Mindless, vicious Republicans like Romney, among others. Donald Trump has done more to uphold the law than any court in this country. We have judges in this country, speckled throughout this country, pointed by Obama and others, who are making a joke of our constitutional system, who twist the language of statutes, who twist the language of regulations, who twist the language of the Constitution to achieve their political ends for their political party and their political mentor, the Obama team. It's Trump who's upholding the Constitution, which is why they're trying to rid rid the, the, the Washington of Donald Trump. It's not the whistleblower. Whistleblower is a political hack. The Democrats in the House are abusing the impeachment process. And the senators, Republican they may be, if they treat this as a trial, they'll be doing exactly the same thing. They'll be giving their imprimatur to what the House is doing. And forevermore, our government will be altered. Trump is fighting it. Whether it comes to witnesses, whether it comes to court cases, he's fighting it. He's doing exactly what the framers of the Constitution would want him to do. He's not only fighting for himself, he's not only fighting for us, he's fighting for our progeny, for the future. And this is why we need to get behind them. It's not this issue, that issue. This is for all the, for all the chips here. He's the one standing up to the left-wing hordes. He's the one standing up to the judicial tyrants. He's the one standing up to the unfree press. He's the one standing up to the surrender caucus in the Republican Party. I'll be right back. Mr. Producer, I don't mean to be rude. Is Wiener Nation still with us? I'm just curious. Is he still around? I mean... Is he still with us? I'm quite serious. Nobody ever hears from him anymore. I hope he is, you know. He's got a lot to offer. But uh, is he on terrestrial radio anymore? I I don't believe he is, is he? I don't believe he's on many if he is. What happened to him? 
I think he's older than uh, Bernie Sanders, isn't he, Mr. Producer? I'm not sure. He's up there, yeah. And that's not a problem. Look, I'm not ageist, as they say. If you got substance, you got talent, you succeed, you know. Did he take over uh, the one to four in the morning slot? Or what? Honestly, I don't know where he is. But then again, I'm not looking. You know, on the campaign trail, President Trump promised to renegotiate NAFTA to better deliver for American workers, businesses, and consumers, and he kept that promise. The U.S.-Mexico-Canada Trade Agreement, USMCA, negotiated by the Trump administration, will replace NAFTA. When NAFTA was signed 26 years ago, no one could have predicted the explosion of innovation and cutting-edge advancements in medicine, agriculture, and technology. That's why the deal needed updating. President Trump's new trade agreement puts in place strong protections for American innovators and their intellectual property responsible for the medical innovations too many take for granted. But Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats want to rewrite the deal and strip out its intellectual property rights. Those are property rights. But without strong protection of U.S. intellectual property rights, foreign freeloaders will continue to take advantage of our innovation. And the investments needed to create new treatments, chronic and deadly diseases, will be gone. Protecting intellectual property protects American jobs. People who are working to create a better health future for the rest of us. And it protects the incentive to innovate and take risks. I guess Nancy Pelosi doesn't understand that, since she's been on easy street with that big dopey husband of hers. Paul, Paul Pelosi. Double P. He's a financial investor out there in San Francisco. I bet you didn't know that. Oh, Paul, yeah. He's something else. Big dummy. Republicans should stand firm and make sure this free trade deal keeps America's interests at the forefront. Get the facts. Go to truehealthcarefacts.com, truehealthcarefacts.com. That's truehealthcarefacts.com. Yeah, I don't know whatever happened to Wiener Nation. I don't know. Who knows? Who cares, really? Let's see here. Caroline, Providence, Rhode Island. Quickly, please. Go. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, yes. My question is, is pretty short. It's that my um, I'm curious as to the reason why Adam Schiff at all and all the Democrats, um, is the reason that they're able to frequently misquote, miscategorize, and just blatantly lie about what's going on is the speech and debate clause of the constitution is that what shields them is that you're correct you're correct now if he comes out of there and makes outrageous statements that are actionable he's not protected by the way caroline do you know where wiener nation is oh in uh olmeville where is it in oh i'm sorry you're talking about in olmeville in rhode island in rhode island it may be in rhode island i don't know i'll be right back From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. 
Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, Michael Bloomberg wants to run for president, so he will. He doesn't believe there's a Democrat who can win or who's worthy of winning. Uh, he just spent a fortune in Virginia uh, to elect a bunch of Democrats and the governor of Virginia, uh, Northam. You may remember him. He's the guy that confessed being uh, in the photo with the blackface uh, paint on and then denied it. And he also is the fellow who believes in post-birth abortion. Genius. Uh, he said, we're ready to move on gun control. But other than that, you see, Mike Bloomberg's a moderate, they tell us. Yes, he's a moderate. A few weeks ago, maybe it was a month or so ago, he was praising the government in China. Remember that, Mr. Producer? He was praising Xi, which is spelled X-I, and uh, basically putting down the freedom fighters in Hong Kong. What kind of president would that be? You think he'd be looking out for this country and our national security? You think he'd be pushing the Chinese the way our president is so they stop stealing our technology? No, 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 no. No, he wouldn't. And then again... You know, he's a kind of live-and-let-live guy, isn't he? Except when it comes to soda. I seem to recall he didn't want anybody buying more than 16 ounces of soda at a time. Isn't that about right, Mr. Producer? You're a New Yorker. Yes, you are. Anyway, so uh, enough of this clown. He basically rode the back of Rudy Giuliani, who we're now supposed to hate, you see. Because Rudy Giuliani helped successfully defend the President of the United States against an out-of-control prosecutor by the name of Mueller. So Giuliani needs to go down. Not Hunter Biden, who's all corrupted up with China and Romania and Ukraine. No, 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 he didn't do anything wrong, but keep digging on Rudy. Yeah, I gotta get that Rudy. He shows up on Fox too much, and you know, and he's, he's with the president. Got to get him. So everybody around the president, with the president, they got to go. But the Hunter Biden, no. And by the way, as an aside, putting aside the phone call to Ukraine and just focusing on the Bidens for a minute, Joe Biden wants to be president of the United States, right? We have every damn right to know about his family's so-called jobs involving foreign countries. And the way in which they moved their money around and made their money. They're chasing Donald Trump over his tax returns. Got every nitwit federal and state judge trying to help out the Democrats. Meanwhile, you're not allowed to know anything about Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, the Biden brother, all the other. All the other people, all the other barnacles hanging on Joe Biden. Not allowed to know. How dare you question Hunter Biden? You have any evidence? You don't have any evidence, do you? Well, why don't you spend some of your resources? No, we don't know. What are you, a, a, a Trump uh, online uh, mobster? What, what, what are you, a Trumpist? Oh, I'm sorry. You're not allowed to, not allowed to request interviews uh, or testimony from any Biden from the whistleblower. You're not allowed to criticize Lieutenant Colonel Vindemann or the forever civil servant the State Department, Yovanovitch, and Obama. Do not question her. Who do you think you are? When it comes to Trump, guilty until proven innocent. 
And even one proven innocent, still guilty. Anyway, back to Mike Bloomberg. What exactly is it that he would do for the country, ladies and gentlemen, other than sell out to the red Chinese, burn the Second Amendment, and take your soda away from you? What exactly would he do? What would he do? Now, he's running as a Democrat. He used to be Republican. Remember that, Mr. Producer? And uh, after that, I believe he was an independent. He went Republican, independent, Democrat. But he'd been a Democrat before he was Republican. You know what we call that? A chameleon. But maybe that's exactly what the Democrat Party means. Maybe more than these Alinskyite Marxists. Some of whom should be in nursing homes. No, no, no. They need, uh, you know, like Bloomberg, a chameleon. A chameleon looks better by comparison. And over at MSLSD and CNN, they're very excited. Donnie Douche, Donnie Lemon, Paul Bagel, Chuck Todd, more on him later, the Chuckster, Chris Saliza, if that is his name, dumb as a doorknob, John Berman. Yes, I am awake, Wolf Blitzer. Yeah, who else do we have here? We have, uh, let's see, doesn't matter. Here's a montage, go ahead. The real billionaire, the former New York City mayor, Michael Bloomberg, preparing a potential run. He is the real deal of what Trump purports to be. He's probably the most, certainly the most successful businessman in New York, one of the five or ten most successful businessmen in the country. Truth is, if he stands on a stage with Donald Trump, I think he matches up very well. He's actually a businessman. He's actually a billionaire. He's actually a philanthropist. Way, sorry, look that... how they put down Trump. He's got buildings everywhere. His name's on them. on them. It's hard to miss. He's got country clubs and resorts all over the world. Look how they talk about him. Just look how they talk. This is the media, by the way. You can't tell the reporters from the commentators. You can't tell one from another. Go ahead. Smoke-filled room, you'd say, on paper, Bloomberg has the right balance of what you want to win a broad election. The bumper sticker for Michael Bloomberg is Donald Trump, but richer, more successful, and less offensive. There How much you money? Go. Let's there put it up. Let's put it up. Can't get enough of this graphic. So we're talking about the war between the billionaires, and look at the net worth. Uh, clearly, uh, Bloomberg is a lot richer than President Trump is uh, those billions. Well, then we're going to have to uh, sue him under the emoluments clause. We're going to need 10 years of his tax returns. We're going to need to... Uh, Get all notes from his accountants and financial advisors. We're going to need to see all his bank accounts. Oh, and by the way, that of his family members. I understand he's divorced as well. We're going to need to dig into all these things, right? All of his girlfriends. We'll give him the Trump treatment. Now, you think Bloomberg can survive the Trump treatment? Now, here's the thing. He won't get the Trump treatment. He just heard all the suck-ups. Will Blitzer and Donnie Lemon and on and on and on. All the suck-ups. But if he got the Trump treatment, it'd be funny to see how that works, wouldn't it? Special counsel, the whole thing. I don't think Bloomberg could withstand it. I don't think he's man enough to handle it. What do you think of that? I don't believe he is in the least. And look at how he's even handled this. He hasn't been in any of the debates, so he gets away with bypassing most of those. Even that big dumb log... Steyer, he jumped in. And by the way, for all you young people out there, when you look at a guy like Steyer and you realize he's a multi-billionaire, that should give you hope. 
This is why America is so great. Because a guy like that with a low IQ and no real experience in anything can become a multi-billionaire and still run as a socialist. Think about that. Like Mike Bloomberg, 24-7 security, armed guards, his homes heavily protected. But you, us, working stiffs, you can't afford all that. Maybe you want to have a 38 or a 40 caliber, some kind of Glock, something like that. No, 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 you can't have that. We have red flag laws and all these guys. No, no, how many bullets? Are you, what? You don't need more than five. No, 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 you don't. Meanwhile, they got guys standing around with Uzis. I don't think Michael Bloomberg would be all that difficult to defeat either. I don't think they have a good candidate at all on the Democrat side. I really don't. Their best candidate's probably Biden. Because he has spent 412 years in government creating the, the, the image as the working man's politician. And yet he's never worked a day in his life. He's been in politics from beginning to end with people serving him. Hand on foot. He's the senator from Amtrak. That's basically it. Oh, by the way, his son was on the Amtrak board. I know you know this. Boy, that son worked his way all the way up. All the way up the ladder. From asking his father to get him on the board to getting on the board. I mean, nobody works as hard as that Hunter Biden. But you know, we're not allowed to know about the Bidens. Put Trump aside. Put Ukraine aside. Put it all aside. They're covering up for Biden. Because it's a corrupt family. I'll be right back. Folks, some of you who listen all the time, you're probably a little worn out from this, but people come and go in radio and TV, so it's important from time to time to, to mention it. Please remember, this Sunday we will be on at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific for Life, Liberty, and Levin. We're going to have a full one hour with Don Jr. It's not like all the other other interviews he's been doing this week, short interviews or people interrupting and yelling at him and so forth and so on. You're going to learn a lot about him and the Trump family and his father and so forth. It's it's a fascinating, fascinating uh, sit-down. And that's why I do Life, Liberty, and Levin the way that I do it for a full hour. It's not purely about his book. I don't like doing interviews that are purely about books, so I don't. But we will raise the book and get into some of the things that that he raises that I find of a particular interest. So before I sit down and do Life, Liberty, and Live In, I do a lot of research on the guest. I, I take a look at what they've written and what they've said and what might interest them and what might interest you more than anything else. Just like I do this radio show. Just like I do live in TV, just like I write books. I work at it. I work at it. That word might be wrong. I mean, I work hard at it, but I love it. But I love it. I'll probably retire. How am I? 62? These people running for president when they're 77 and 78 and 76? I mean, it's absurd. I'm just being honest with you. Job is way too difficult, it's way too onerous. And there'll be a time at which I retire and leave it to the next generation to step in. My wife doesn't believe it, but I tell her, no, that day will come. Maybe I'll write a book here and there, 
have a podcast on, but I'm not. This this schedule can't can't continue. But it will for now. Um, it's enforced compliance season. If you owe the IRS, you need to take action because the IRS can garnish your paycheck, seize your bank account, and put a lien on your home. And that's just for starters. Don't wait until it's too late. Call Optima Tax Relief while you still have options. They are the best, and they have been a sponsor for years, and that's why. And they've resolved over a billion dollars in tax debt for folks like you. Optima steps between you and the IRS, fighting on your behalf to help stop the demand letters and aggressive collection actions so you can get back to your life. Now, they're really gearing up now because you're working towards the end of the tax year, the end of the calendar year. So this is where they believe they can really get at you. So you've got to be thinking about this and even more act on it. And no one is more skilled at solving tough IRS problems than Optima Tax Relief. Call right now and ask about the Fresh Start Initiative, one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. If you qualify, you can save thousands of dollars. You deserve a fresh start, and Optima Tax Relief will help you get it. They have experts professionals, lawyers, accountants, former IRS officials, they are ready to jump in on your behalf. And as they say, come between you and the IRS. Here's their number. If you want a free consultation, a free consultation. Did I say free? Yes, I did. 800 They're there right now. Some restrictions apply, and if you want to take a look at their, their website for further details, be my guest. That's OptimaTaxRelief.com, OptimaTaxRelief.com. Great guest in about five minutes. Great guest. Jimmy, Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC. Go! Great show, Mark. You know, I hope you don't retire. Uh, anyway, basic Marxism. One day you retire on your own, or the good Lord retires you for yourself. Well, or something hope, like that. Hope that's a long time off. Thank you. Basic Marxism. I know you know this, but the audience has to know it, and U.S. intelligence has to know it. In basic Marxism, let's say you start with this is what they write and believe. You start with slavery. Conditions get a little better. You get to feudalism. Then you get the capitalism. Today, there was probably three stages of capitalism. After full modernization, full development under capitalism, then you go on to socialism, then you go on to communism. Russia, China, all of those countries never went through full capitalist development. So when they started embracing capitalism, most Americans thought they're going free market and democratic. But no, they were going back to basic Marxism. They skipped the stage of development. This is something that I hear people on TV, what's China's goals? What? It's world communist government. So you have the world communist government, internationalism, they call it. Then there's another one that overlaps it called globalism. So you have one force that looks capitalistic, but they believe in global connections and global government. And then you have what looks supposedly a counterforce, the world communist movement, which is internationalism. Internationalism and globalism are basically the same thing. And the communists that defend it say globalism and the World Trade Organization and these things are good because they build global interconnectedness. So they're fighting on a whole different level. 
Communists don't win because they have a better product than we do. They win because they have better uh, tactics and strategy, and they play dirty. Antonio Gramsci, for instance, this is the big one over the last several decades. I want to read you very quick, two sentences from what the communists write promoting Gramsci. The ideological erosion of the bourgeois order at every level, economic, political, cultural, social, would precede the full initiation of direct frontal assault on the state. So they write about it. They talk about changing mass thought patterns. They write about changing mass moods and mass trends. Mm-hmm. The Soviets write, and I, I have all of this stuff, the Soviets write about changing the psychological makeup of Muslims. And those Muslims then put out fatwas on those who po- oppose the Soviet Union. So this thing about changing mass moods and mass thought trends, this is worldwide, because it's a worldwide communist movement carrying this out. In the past, I talked about the Soviet... Do you, do you agree with me that the radical progressivism is an offshoot? It is, it is sort of the bastard child of this movement. It's, it is definitely part of that movement. It's definitely part... Just like I talked about the Soviet hand in the Muslim glove, you have the communist hand in the media, the communist hand in the Democrat Party, so they're influencing people who may not willingly, knowingly be communist, but it's a broad movement. And U.S. intelligence at the highest level is involved at this. At the same time, we're under attack from the world communist movement, Russia, China, radical Islam, the drug cartels, the KGB mafia, and all of that. Instead of U.S. intelligence fighting to combat that, they seem to be in cahoots with that broader movement in toppling our president. All right, Jimmy, uh, but but let me just say this, because I have to go. Of course, toppling our president would serve their purposes, wouldn't it? Exactly. One All right, Jimmy, got to go. Not time for one more. I apologize. Gave you five minutes, brother. We have a special guest. You're going to have to come back to find out. We'll be right back. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. You know, one of the great conservatives of our era here is Jim DeMint. Jim DeMint, former senator, former congressman, successful businessman. But more than all that, one of the great conservative activists and thinkers. And it's a pleasure to have him with me. Jim, how are you, sir? Mark, I couldn't be better, and I'm honored to be back on your show. Thanks for what you do every day. Well, and thank you. And you've, you've written a great book with uh, Rachel Bavard, Conservative, Knowing What to Keep. Now, why do you feel we needed a book like this at our time? I think I know why, but what, what, is, your, what is your motivation? Well, most of the country calls themselves conservatives, but uh, we don't really know what it means, Mark. And it's much more than just politics or policies or even the people who call themselves conservatives. It's, it's all those things we want to keep that make life worth living, that make life better, our country better. And we I don't want to forget about that in the middle of the fight as we look at what's going on in Washington. Mm-hmm. This isn't about Trump. He's being attacked because he's standing for a lot of those things that the left can't stand. They want to throw it all out the window. But if we're going to build a, an American movement, what we call a conservative movement, we've got to know what we're fighting for. People even attack 
the word conservative and the phrase conservative movement these days who used to claim to be conservative. How do you figure that out? Well, I, I know we're called hateful, bigoted, every bad word you can attach to it. But all of us are conservative at heart, Mark, because we want to keep those things that matter to us. And what we're, we need to do is apply that to our lives, our communities, but also to politics. But uh, the whole second half of the book about conservatism is the left and the people who want to take these things away. And what, what, is, what are their real motives? Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to say. I've been up there 20 years. But it, it becomes clear after 20 years that the folks on the left, they want to take all the things away that make freedom work in America. They want centralized power. They want socialism. You talk about it every, every day, but what we tried to do in the book is to put it in broader terms than just politics or one politician. The book's not about Donald Trump, but Donald Trump is a big part of this battle uh, from between the left and the right, and the reason people hate him more than anybody else is he's one of the few that's ever stood up to what they're trying to do in Washington. And uh, I, I do like your, your point, which is it's really a book about conservatism and the opposite of conservatism. You can call them leftism, liberalism, whatever it is. It's some-ism. But you write about faith, and you write about traditions and institutions and all these things we're trying to protect, and they're trying to destroy. Give us some examples. Well, it would surprise most people that a lot of what we do is bring forward what Russell Kirk talked about back in the 1950s. He talked about freedom is contingent on this idea of believing in a transcendent order. It's not forcing any one religion on people or even that you have to have religion. But he had noted through history that people can only live free if they hold themselves accountable to a, a transcendent moral order. And we talk about that and how it applies to politics. We, we talk about keeping our faith, but it's not about the government forcing a religion on people, but the fact that we are free to practice all the different faiths in America. And the third chapter, Mark, is about keeping our differences. It drives me nuts to hear the left talk about diversity when they're the most intolerant people uh, of diversity that you can imagine. Russell Kirk said we need to celebrate and promote our differences, and that means you have to have decentralized power, you have to let people do their own thing, and I just think if people take the time to read a book like this, they'll get a different perspective of what the fight is all about and how we can be more constructive in that fight. The book is conservative, knowing what to keep. You can get it at Amazon.com. I've also linked it on my social sites, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. You're listening to the great Jim DeMint. Jim DeMint and conservatism, as I read your outstanding book, and it's easily digestible, and it really is compelling. And as I read this book, conservatism really is, is basically Judeo-Christian ethics. It is the founding principles. It's a way of articulating them and applying them to our daily lives, as you say, and to our politics. Isn't that right? Exactly. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> I wish I had you right. Well, you before. have said it beautifully <laughs> in the book. <laughs> uh, no, it, it's not that complicated. And, and the, the way you just expressed it, it's, it's much broader than the political fray we look at every day. Now, the, the politics are an important fight. 
But if all we see is politics and the news every day, uh, we're going to miss everything that it is that we're fighting for. And so I want people that we're trying to work with around the country who call themselves conservatives, which I generally define as common sense, is let's get on the same page of what we're fighting for. But also the whole second half of the book, like you said, it's, it's about the people who are trying to destroy this and what their real motives are. We've got to understand what this fight is about and who the enemy is if we expect to win. Mm-hmm. Now, the, uh, and that's the thing. I mean, uh, you, at, in, in towards the back of the book, you even lay out how to address a number of these things, don't you? Yeah, we, we, we go over the, all the policy failures of the left. I mean, socialism has been on stage for hundreds of years, and all of the failures are pretty evident and well-documented. But we talk about the, the, the kind of conceptual policy ideas that we need to take to the public sphere if, if we're going to keep those things that make our lives better. And, and that is a real emphasis of the book, Mark. We want to make life better for people. And when I was in business, all, we call this best practices or continuous quality improvement. And conservatism is just identifying those things that work well and, and building on them to create a better future. It's not that complicated, but we very seldom talk about what it is we're trying to do as conservatives, what we're trying to conserve, and why we're trying to conserve these things. And what's infuriating, Jim DeMint, is the opposite ideology or opposite ideologies are taught in our schools. People are indoctrinated into these things. And, and, and when it comes to our principles, our faith, our belief system, our values, and so forth, we have to remind ourselves what that means, what that is, and that's what you're trying to do with this book. You have to go over and around the culture in many respects. Well, th- these ideas should be taught in the first and second grade, <laughs> certainly mm-hmm. all the way uh, through uh, you know higher education in America, but that's part of the battle lines. And so this is really just a part of the big picture. Uh, you talk about it. I mean, uh, your books are the well, most well-researched and written that, that I've seen. I think what we're doing is complementing some of that with just a broad picture of the, of the big ideas that make life worth living. And Rachel Bovard and I are just trying to bring forward what the, what the father of conservatism, Russell Kirk, did uh, 60, 70 years ago and try to make it more readable for young people and millennials. Uh, but I think we have a real chance of winning here. We've, we've got some people now, uh, particularly one in the White House, who's, who's willing to fight for things. Although, I, I mean, none of us do it perfectly. Um, but I really do think our country is at a crossroads. We talk about that a lot. But let's know what the different sides are. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do in conservatives. Well, a couple of things. Conscience of a Conservative, you know, Barry Goldwater's book, which sold an enormous number of books. It was written in plain English. It was very well understood. That's the kind of writing style I see here. And I think it's very, very important for the public to understand how digestible this is and how important it is. That's number one. Number two, you were an early backer of Donald Trump's. What did you see so early on? Well, just someone who would fight. Uh, Mark, a lot of folks came with the right philosophy to Washington. I saw so many people just fade into the woodwork. It takes some, uh, some courage, and, and Trump is just unorthodox enough to be willing to kick down some doors. And this is really mud-wet wrestling. I, I wish we could say that nice works in Washington, but it doesn't. 
And so we're, we're at war and we needed a warrior. And I, I'm surprised at how well Donald Trump has held up. He's been attacked 24 hours a day That's now unbelievable. For, for, for three years. And um, and we, we need to get the guys back. Uh, I mean, I'm proud of him. I don't think he came to Washington as a philosophical conservative, right. but he knows what works. He's common sense and he, and he's not afraid. And for me, Mark, it's, it's just if you are not afraid and don't need to be liked, you're going to be much more valuable than somebody who knows all the the Hayek and Kirk principles, mm-hmm. because most people are really not willing to put everything on the line to save our country. And you see that, don't you, Jim, in Congress? You have people who run as conservatives, and all of a sudden they're trashing the president, they're thrown in with the media, and you go, what the hell is this? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I've just seen you so saw many it close and personal. Will. Yeah, I spent years helping to elect people through Senate Conservatives Fund. That's why we started the Conservative Partnership is is to try to support people on the inside so that, you know, as Milton Friedman said, we've we've got to create an environment where even the wrong people will do the right thing. Right now we've got an environment where the right people do the wrong thing Mm -hmm. just because they're afraid. And and, and we've got – we just had a couple of people elected in special elections, and, and to hear what they were being told about they're not going to be invited on all the Codells and foreign trips and the cocktail parties if they join the Freedom Caucus. We've got to make being a part of the Freedom Caucus the exclusive club in Washington, and, that, and that's what we're trying to do, working with Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows and Andy Biggs. But, but at, at the bottom of this, if you step back to it, and again, why we wrote the book, why you write books, is to help people see that the stakes are much bigger than one election. It's bigger than one politician. It's everything that makes our lives meaningful. We need to understand that and see how we can preserve and keep those things. Well, I really like this book, and I'm not alone. Senator Mike Lee, Charlie Kirk, Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan wrote the foreword to the book. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping people will pick up a copy of this or give it as a holiday gift. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. All the proceeds go to the Conservative Partnership Institute to support conservatives on the Hill. And uh, you do that every day, and I'm grateful. And we're grateful for you, Jim. And God bless you. Thank you for writing this excellent book. Take care of yourself. This is the modern-day primer right here. Conservative, knowing what to keep. And it really is a book about conservatism and the opposite of conservatism. It really is. And at the end of the book, a number of you know, wonderful ideas. They point out so many of the failures of the left. But it's not just a book that, that, that talks about talk. It's a book that gives you substance. It's entertaining. It's, uh, again, in plain English. And, you know, you maybe have a college kid among you that's kind of moving in the wrong direction or you're sending a kid off to college at some point, you want to make sure they understand these things, you're not going to get a book like this in high school or college. So this is a good starter book as far as I'm concerned by Jim DeMint and Rachel Bavard. The book is Conservative, Knowing What to Keep. And you can get it on Amazon.com as I speak or go to Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter, and it's there. What am I doing now, Mr. Producer? We'll be right back. Mark Levin. You know what? If I were invited on that final exam that Tucker Carlson does, I think I'd go to that, Mr. Producer. Probably lose. 
but I'd, I'd still, it would be fun. I can't do it. He has to invite me. I'm not asking. Renata Salinas. Oh, oh, I forgot. I have to do something. Mr. Reduce is very angry with me. Well, Mr. Reduce, as you know, my printer hasn't been working. Do you know it hasn't been working all week, ladies and gentlemen? People say, why are you reading like that? Because I don't have my glasses and I have to stare at a big screen. All right, here we go. In a world that has lost its way, lost respect for logic, law, American history. Who is defending you in Washington? Who speaks for conservatives? AMAC, the Association of Mature American Conservatives. That's who, citizens. AMAC gives its members, see, I told you, valuable everyday benefits while boldly defending America's priceless constitution, sacred history, individual liberties, and basic moral compass. AMAC fights for border and national security, freedom of speech and religion. Look, AMAC is the counter to the AARP. If you're a patriotic American, it's AMAC. I am a member of AMAC. They have wonderful discounts and benefits. They represent us in Washington, D.C., those of us who believe in liberty and our constitution and our declaration of independence. I would strongly encourage you to join them. It doesn't even cost that much. And if you're not an AMAC member, you should be. The next election will decide our nation's future. We will either be true to America's noble past or we're going to fall in the gutter. Let's be honest. So sign up today at amac.us, A-M-A-C dot U-S, amac dot U-S. You won't be sorry. It's fantastic. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's America. It's every Friday. Here we go.
right, ladies and gentlemen, the week is officially over. The week begins now. Please don't forget, this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, new time, life, liberty, and Levin. We'll see you then. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all you folks that protect us. Thank you. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Gigi. And good Lord, take care of Barney, please. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. And good night, Leo. And I'll see you Monday. Hang in there. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.